most of the time I have to read it. You know, you got to read it three or four times and then you're still thinking, I mean, it just, it kind of, he's saying the same thing and then he's saying it over again. And then there's like a, the, the way, sometimes Paul will write, it'll be like six, eight verses every one sentence, you know, like, and it's just, and by the time you get to the end of the sentence, you're like, I don't fucking, he done took four rows to the left and two to the right. And I, I just, I'm lost. So he does it sometimes, but Basically, what I want you to see, and we're going to try to work through it, um, we've so far, putting it in context, we've gone through the first three chapters, which tell us that we're all evil and that we are wicked to the core and there's nobody that does good, no one's righteous. Um, He has taken us all off of our high horse and told us that none of us is righteous and that we can't be righteous and there's no hope for any of us. He's introduced us to the gospel, how God has given his son to bring us to righteousness and to save us. And then uh, chapter 4 you know, told us about how it's always been by faith. It's never been by works, so it's not by works now. Um, at the beginning of at the beginning of chapter five last week, we talked about being justified. Remember when it said uh, it said we have peace with God and we have access to the grace which we now stand. And it was all about what it means to be justified, and now we're forgiven and free. And here, he's gonna. This is gonna be the last section. Of the, of the letter before we start talking about, okay, now how do I live? Chapter 6, 7, and 8 are going to talk about, okay, now that I know all this stuff about grace and what I am in Christ, how do I walk in it? How do I live in it? That's chapter 6, 7, and 8. So right here, he's answering the question, how is it that one man can die and save the entire world? Have you ever thought about that? Like, you know, how is it that, how is it that it just doesn't seem like it equals out like that one guy, you know, and, and of course it's a God man, it's Jesus Christ, but it's still one man. One man goes to the cross, pays the penalty, and the whole world's sins are gone free. And so what he's doing is he's going to show us the last thing that he wrote in verse 11 before we read it. He's going to, i tell you what, let me do this. Let's do this. Let's skip down and we're going to read verses 18 and 19. And I think those two verses basically tell you everything that he's trying to say in this section. He's going to repeat himself and he's going to go, you know, point to point. But these two verses is basically what he was trying to say. He was saying, he said, therefore, as by, as by, I'm going to just read these two verses, then we're going to go back up. Therefore, as by the offense of one, who's the one? Adam. Judgment came upon all men to condemnation. All men is everybody who would come after him. He said, just as that happened, he said, even so, by the righteousness of one, who is that one? Jesus Christ. The free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam's, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So if you asked him, if you stood up while Paul was preaching and you said, now wait a minute, how can, how can the death of this one man uh, be effective for all of us? He would take you all the way back to the Garden of Eden and he'll say, one man messed it up for everybody and then there was not a righteous man, so God sent his own son, taking the form of a man who was perfectly righteous, to 
fix it, to, for lack of a better way to put it. You want to say something? Oh, well, you, had, you look like you had your hand. You do the... Anyway. Okay, so that's the point of the passage is when you were born, the point is this, you were born into condemnation. Either when God looks at you, you are either represented by Adam or you're represented by Christ. Uh, He either sees you as in Adam or he sees you as in Christ. There's only two options. That's the only two options. When God looks at you, you'll either be the son of Adam or you'll be the son of God through Christ. And that's really the only, that's the only options that, that we have. So... When you think about it that way, even if even if you th- even if you want to say, you know, I'm doing good and I'm better than all these other folks and I'm 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 really awesome and whatever, you still inherited an internal wickedness. Uh, Paul calls it your flesh a lot of times. You know, it says the flesh wars against the spirit and the flesh wants to do this and it's trying to get me to do that. He calls it your flesh and you inherited that from your, our father Adam. You know. We all pass down from Adam. And so, not only do we have our own acts, like when I go and I tell a lie, or when I go and I, you know, whatever, but we have just this human nature, this sinful nature, this, what it, what's called the flesh uh, in the New Testament, that it, we are wicked by nature. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? So what I'm saying is, you're not a sinner because you've committed sins, I'm not a sinner because I've committed sins. The reason I commit sins is because inside I'm a sinner. See what I mean? Makes sense. Like, it's not like Jason is just perfect and all of a sudden, oops, he commits a sin. Now you're a sinner. No, I was a sinner from the day. Nobody has to teach a little baby how to disobey mama. Nobody has to teach him how to throw the peas on the floor. Nobody has to teach him how to lie or be selfish or anything like that. It just comes natural. It's natural to them. And uh, you have to teach them not to do those things. So basically what he's going to show us here is from Adam, there is something inside of you, your flesh, that desires evil, that is wicked, that is... That it, and until you understand the depth of the wickedness that dwells in our flesh, it's really hard to understand the great depths of the grace that he bestowed on us to save us. Does that make sense? Y'all still with me? Everybody got me? Now, I make a good case. We're not going to talk about this today, but whenever I talk about the fact that we're born in sin, the question always comes up about babies dying and do they go to heaven? And I make a good case from the Bible that that you know, young children and people with mental, you know, handicaps do go to heaven. I make a good for biblical case from that. So when I say, when I say you're born into sin, what I'm saying is that you are born with a nature that is bent toward doing evil. And that's the reason that you do do evil. I put a big space between do and do. Y'all with me? Okay. Let me just flesh it out through the text and then you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay. Sin, first of all, he shows us that sin and death 
reigned. Now through this whole section and through chapter 6, 7, and 8, he's going to talk about sin like it's alive. I don't know if y'all picked up on that. But sin, it's going to talk about sin reigning. It's going to talk about uh, being us being slaves to sin in the next chapter or not being slaves to sin. It's going to talk about us obeying sin or not obeying sin. Uh, throughout the rest of Romans, especially 6, 7, and 8, sin, he's going to talk about it not like it's just an act that you do. Oh, I bumped bump my toe. But like it's this thing inside of you that you can either submit to or you cannot submit to. So he says, he's going to show us here in verse 12 that death reigned. He says, wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. So that was Adam introduced sin into the world. By his act of disobedience. Y'all know the story, right? Do I need to go through Genesis 1? And death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Okay? So first, before we move on, you just need to see that sin is not just a oops. It's not like a oops, I made a mistake. It's a rebellion. It's an idolatry. It's idolatry against God. Like anytime you go against God's law and you say, I'm going to do X when God has told me not to do X, what you're saying is... I don't want you ruling over me. I don't want you having authority over my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to be my own God. I'm basically going to dethrone God and take his place. That's what Adam did in the garden. If you remember, he and his wife, uh, they were tempted to, to eat the fruit. And the serpent told them, he says, you know, God is trying to keep this from you. Really, if you eat this fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. You know, you'll be like him. And, and basically the temptation was not just, hey, you hungry? You want to eat this apple? It was, hey, you can be like God. I mean, you don't have to submit to him. He's not got your best interest in mind. There's something that you're missing here. And so when Eve and Adam decided to eat of that fruit, what they were doing was they were rebelling against God and something in their nature changed on that day. Something changed. All of creation changed on that day. And they were suddenly separated from God. They were suddenly, they were suddenly spiritually dead. Well, it could be, it could be. Yeah. But he did actually say on that day, you will die. The only reason they didn't was because of God's mercy, you know, and he threw them out, but there was a spiritual separation. Yeah. Death. Uh, when they, what? Did that sin not also bring forth physical death too? Oh yeah, absolutely. But they didn't die on that day. They didn't die on that day, but they were not supposed to die. They're, yeah, right, right. That's why I'm saying their nature changed from, they were created to live forever and to walk in the cool of the day with God and to have fellowship with God and to care for the garden. And the, the original plan, this is, I'm, I'm starting to move into my opinions now. This is not found anywhere, but um, the original plan, I think, was for God to, expand the garden of eden was like his little temple you know like his little garden temple and it was to expand until it covered the whole world and his image and his people covered the whole world and so adam and eve the command they were given was go forth and multiply and subdue the earth you know and that's what they were told to do but instead of that happening they fell into sin. Now all of a sudden death and disease and evil is, is entering into the world and, and <clears throat> people die and things die and animals are all, it's all tooth and fang. And I mean, the creation is just messed up. And 
Adam and Eve begin dying at that moment. And then when they have children, they pass that, they pass that, whatever that is in them, they pass that down to their children. And then their children's children, their children, all the way down to us. So when we're born, we're born with the propensity, the bent to do evil. We're born, we're born not, you know, I mean, we're, we're doing evil for, I don't know, especially if you got kids, I mean, you know good and well, they are mine, mine, mine. It's my, you know, they're rebellious and selfish right off the bat. You don't have to teach them any of that. They, uh, they get it quite natural. So basically it's saying that sin entered and then it says for unto the law sin was in the world. He's, he's going to show us. This is him showing us that this sin I'm talking about is not just breaking rules. It's not just breaking laws. It's something bigger. It's something inside you. Some, an evil, a wickedness inside you. Uh, it's your flesh is what Paul calls it later. But it says for unto the law, until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Now what he's saying there is like from the time of Adam, let me read the rest of it. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude or the likeness of Adam's transgression, who is the figure that was to come. From Adam to Moses, there was no written code of law. God did not give them, you know, God never told Abel, hey, do not kill your brother with a rock. You know what I mean? He never gave, but yet evil was still in the world. Uh, Abel did sin when he killed his brother, Cain. Or no, Cain killed Abel. Yeah, I got it backwards. So what it's saying is, even, even when it's not just like, oh, I broke a rule and okay, man, dang, I sinned. There was something much bigger because even before the rules were actually laid out for men to see, sin was in the world. Death was reigning in the world. People died from the time Adam came and had sons all the way until the time Moses came and God gave him the law. Y'all with me? Everybody following? You make sense? So so it's saying like it's saying that this sin that we're talking about here is not just a oops I, I, I messed up on a commandment it's something that that infected for lack of a better word mankind right at the beginning and it was with man all the way through even before there was no law even before we could keep a record like but from from Adam to Moses there was still God still had a law it just wasn't written out for them and there was no way for them to you know like to record let's say it's not a good way to put it but if i was taking records of who did what you know what i mean there was no law that said well you can't think this and you can't wa watch that and you can't do you know what i mean but evil was still there there was still evil all the way through there was evil all the way through mankind there was death all the way through mankind death came because of sin and people died all the way even though there was no law Adam had God's law. God said he gave him one command, which was don't eat of the fruit. Okay. And it's saying, it's saying, look, even though there wasn't a written law, nevertheless, even though death reigned from Adam to Moses, okay, because there was, there was no written law, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression. And what that means is they did not sin in the same way that Adam did. Adam had God's law. He had a command from God. Do not eat. 
and Adam ate. Okay? God never told Cain, hey Cain, don't kill your brother. But yet Cain killed his brother and he sinned when he did so. But that transgression couldn't be like it was recorded in God's mind, of course. But as far as you knowing that I've done wrong, that's probably not a good way either. Because they knew they did wrong. But even when people didn't know, this is God's law. When you mess it up, when you break it, you're breaking God's law. There was still sin. There was still the breaking of God's law, even when there wasn't a written code. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Some of y'all not with me? Tell me if you're not with me, and I'll try to explain a different way. I'm not with you. Okay. Sorry. That's okay. I knew you're probably just the only one that was honest. All right. Let's try it again. Until the law, okay, between Adam and Moses. Well, yeah, the conscience. Remember Romans 1, everybody knows that there's a God because they see him in creation. Romans 2 says everybody has the laws of God, the moral sense, the conscience that God has put on their heart. So, and of course, God convicted men of sin. So it's not like there's always been law. God's law is you know, perfect and it's an extension of him. So to say there hasn't, God didn't have a law is to say there is no God. So there's always been God's law. There's always been breaking of God's law. There's always been uh, sin and death in the world. But if Paul is talking to this religious crowd that thinks I'm going to get to heaven because I'm keeping the commandments and the law, he needs to show them that no, 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 even before there was a law, men were still failing. Men were still in sin. Men were still dying. Men were still messing all this up. So he's speaking to people who think, if I just keep these rules, I can get to heaven. And he's saying, no, it's not about the rules. Even before there was rules, men were dying and going to hell. Men were getting forgiveness from God. Men were sinning and repenting and doing all this stuff. It's been by faith through this whole time. Does that make it easier? Yes. Good. All right. So death reigned. Um, but here, look, at, it's going to show us that grace is more powerful than sin and death. It says, verse 15, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. He's saying the gift that God gives us is not like the sin. And he's going to show us that it's more powerful. For if through, how many offenses? If through the offense of one, talking about Adam, many are made dead, much more, he takes a side road right here, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded to many. So take that sentence apart and it says, for if the one, the one offense made everybody dead, and skip the descriptions of Jesus, and it says, the grace which is by one man has abounded to many. Okay? So what he's saying is, the one man, Adam, caused all, the, all of us to be dead. Therefore, God can look at the one righteous man, Christ, who's the only perfect man, and he can abound that grace toward many. See? It's like uh, the, reason it, the reason the transaction can take place is because one man's offense started all this. So even down through the ages, God had types, uh, types of Christs, which like he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take... And I'm going to just 
mess everything. I'm going I'm to I'm destroy everything. I'm going to start over, okay? Flood, Noah. He says, I'm going to take one family and I'm going to start over and then they're going to do it. Okay, Noah fails. Sinful. Sinful heart, flesh fails. He says, okay, I'm going to scatter them. I'm going to change their language. Now I'm going to pick one man and I'm going to make a nation out of him and he's going to do it. Abraham. Abraham fails. Then Abraham's children fail. Israel said, okay, all right, one dude can't handle it, so I'm going to make a nation of my people, and they're going to finally fix what Adam screwed up. Israel failed completely. And finally, after all his prophets and all his teachers and all his chosen people failed to live up to what he was trying to accomplish in the world to spread his image, he said, I'm going to send my son. And he succeeded. He succeeded where everybody else failed. Does that make sense? That's an excellent way of describing it. Well, good. Okay, so, and now verses 15 through 17, it kind of, it's kind of looking at a diamond from different angles. I mean, he's going to look at the same thing, but he's just going to turn it a little different way. So if you started reading these and you read through them and it's like, uh, you're just saying the same thing over and over again, that's kind of what he's after. It says... And not as it was by one that sinned. He says, the offense of the one that sinned is not like the gift. Not like eternal life. Not like grace. Not as it was by the one that sinned, so is the gift. The gift is not like the one that sinned. For judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Now, that gets, that's confusing just for me to read. But think about it this way. What he's saying is one offense caused death to spread all over everybody. Condemnation, right? One offense. He says, but this one act of righteousness, the free gift, is not, doesn't just pay for the one offense, but it pays for that one offense, and it pays for all the offenses that you've done, and that you've done, that you've done, that I've done. Not only does it pay for every time I broke a rule, but it pays for what I am. Does that make sense? Like, not only, it's not that I have sinned, it's that I am a sinner. See what I mean? It's not like... It's not just the account of my actions. The, the, I have done this. I have done that. I have done... It's what I am on the inside. It's, it's ugly and wicked and it's evil. My flesh. Paul, later on in, uh, I think, chapter 7, he's going to say, there is nothing good that resides in me that is in my flesh. And this is Paul the Apostle. I mean... If anybody could be good, surely this dude, I mean, he took beatings and went on mission journeys and spread the gospel all over the known world. And he's saying, he, he's saying in chapter 7, he's going to say, there's nothing good in me at all. Nothing in my flesh. And so it says, for if by one, verse 17, for if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, one man did it, death reigns over the world by one man's offense. It says, look how much bigger God's grace is. Much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, righteousness, righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So what he's saying, look, in, verse, in the first part of verse 17, what reigns? What rules? Death rules. For all those that are not in Christ, death rules. It's a looming reality. But then in the second part, what reigns? 
Look again. What reigns? N- no, close. Much more, listen, they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign. So who reigns in the second part? The believers, right. Those who receive the gift. So you understand how he is, he is completely shaking the foundations of these people who would think, well, I'm just going to do better. He's like, the ones who reign over death and sin, the ones who reign in grace, the ones who reign through Jesus Christ, the ones who reign in righteousness are not the ones that are just keeping the rule. It's not the ones that are just watching where they step and making sure that I don't offend anybody and make sure that I don't break any of the rules and I'm doing good. And It's not those people. It's those people that know I've inherited this awful, ugly, sinful nature. I've inherited this flesh and it is trying to get me to live my own life. It's trying to get me to sin. It's trying to get me not to be a bank robber or a murderer thing, but just to live independently from God. And Christ has saved me from that so that now, today, there's a war that goes on between my flesh and the Spirit of God that's inside of me. And it says that... Because of what Jesus did, death no longer reigns over me. Sin no longer reigns over me, but Christ in me reigns because I've received the abundance of grace. Not because I'm so good, not because I'm doing better, not because everything's awesome and I'm just so spiritual and I'm better than everybody else. But it says, they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. Okay? So first part of verse 17 says, by one man's offense, what reign? But second part of 17 says, those that receive the gift will reign in life. You understand? We're talking about right now. So it's not just like one of these days, oh, we're going to reign, we're going to rule with Christ, and I just can't wait. And it's, it's talking about right now. It's talking about, look, if you've trusted in Christ, your eternity has started right now. Your victory has started right now. Your reign over sin and death has started right now. When we move over into chapter 6 next week, it's going gonna, it's gonna to show us that sin doesn't have dominion over you anymore. Sin doesn't have control of you. Your flesh is not ruling your life anymore because of what Christ did. You have, you can overcome that as the Spirit of God wars against that flesh on a daily basis. So what he's going to show us is that before Christ, death and sin reigned. When sin said move, you move. It picked you up by your nose and it led you wherever you wanted to go and whatever desire, lust, inclination, uh, instinct, whatever you had, it was all, it, you were subject to obey it. But when Christ came, and we're really going to see a lot of this in chapter 6 next week. He freed you from that slavery. It says you're no longer slaves to sin to obey it in the lust thereof. But you are slaves to righteousness now. So it says, for if by one man's offense death reigned. It reigned over you. It ruled over you by one. It said much more they, talking about us, which do what? Receive. 
receive. Not that keep the law, not that do awesome, not that do all the works, not that do all those things. There's a balance there. We're going to see it next week. Our first verse next week is shall we continue in sin? But here it says they will receive much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. They will reign in life by one man, Jesus Christ. So we already read verses 18 and 19. Basically, that just it sums that up. Uh, by one man, sin was, the world was plunged into sin and death reigned. Uh, and then by one man, Christ, by one man, the God-man Christ Jesus, God made all of this sin and death. Uh, it, it stole the victory from it. It stole the reign that it had over our flesh and our, our sinful natures. And it restored us into fellowship with God by the righteousness that he gave us. Uh, uh, so it says, so it says, let me just read it. Therefore, verse 18, therefore, as by one offense, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Because of what he did in the beginning, judgment has come upon all men. Not just because of what he did, but because he is our representative and we were born with this flesh. So someone will always say, well, that's not fair to do that. I have to pay for what he's done. Unless you can show me that you haven't sinned on your own, it doesn't matter anyway, because you're going to be held accountable. You're going to be condemned for your own sins anyhow. But you have what Paul calls the flesh. In chapter seven, he's going to show us how we, he wars against this flesh. And this flesh is what he's talking about here. It desires to do what God does not want you to do. It says, so judgment came upon all to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Death from the first one, life from the second one. Now, you've probably heard me say a bunch of times that you're either 100% righteous in Christ or you're zero. You're right. There's no, well, I'm about 60% today and I'm doing better. The father will look at you and he will either see I will be in Adam, which means donut, or I am in Christ, which means perfect. Okay. So what he's showing you here is that you have, you have a representative. You are born in Adam, whether you like it or not, whether you accept it or not, you are born in Adam, but to be in Christ, you have to be born again. And when you're born again, he adopts you into his family. And all of a sudden, I'm not just a son of Adam who's inherited Adam's stuff. I'm a son of the Father through Jesus Christ. And it says I am a, a, a co-inheritor. No. What's it say? Come on, I just went blank. Uh, fellow heir? Co-heir? Joint heir. That's it. That's what I was looking for. I'm a joint heir with Christ. So I'm not... I'm not I'm not ruled by what I inherited from Adam. I'm ruled by my inheritance of my father who adopted me through Jesus Christ. Make sense? With me? Okay. Last two verses. Moreover, it says, so you remember our, our, our participant in the audience who's arguing with Paul is going to say, well, what about the law, man? We're keeping the law. The law is what saves us. He says, look, the law entered 
that the offense might abound. What, is, what do you think that would mean? Why would offenses abound when the law suddenly enters the picture? Because now you keep a record of all the stuff. Now you know exactly what God's... And you can see how awful we are. We can see how sinful and how just evil our flesh is in and of itself. God gave us that law and we can see, oh man, I'm breaking it here, I'm breaking it here, I'm breaking it here. And your, your sin starts, when you start looking at God's law and the perfection of it and start measuring your life against it, man, you start seeing, I am, I'm probably the worst one in the world. I mean, is everybody doing as bad as me? And it's, it's, you just see all this, you know, just, I mean, just take the first one, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I mean, that right there in and of itself. I mean, so you see, man, I'm wicked. I'm, I'm unholy. I'm unrighteous. And the more I try, the more I fail. And what that does is that humbles you and drives you to the Savior because now you need it. You see what I mean? And after you're saved, guess what? You need him. You still need him. You need him that day, and then you need him the day. And on the day that you wake up, you say, well, I don't need him anymore. I can handle it on my own. You, the floor is supposed to come out from under you. Or you're just not living in reality. Well, Jake, explain to them about that rule. I, I know you got about that rule about who you are. We're not ruled about what we do or our performance. We're ruled about who we are. Just like, I don't know, but I don't know how many people you think you build up. You know, just like somebody who has a car in England, he, he sets up the roof, he's got a shot. Well, if he wants to break on the roof, you know, and he does, you think anything's going to happen? No, because he belongs to the one that makes the roof. So when it says you're ruled, it means you're indebted. If you're ruled because of your identity, that's, that's, that's who you are. Right. So... Maybe you get that later, but that's going to explain that to us. Your identity is what you're moved by. It's not your works, not your good or bad. And it's because of that that causes us to love you and want to serve. Yeah. 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 And what he's, I think what he's saying is he's, he's, he's showing us that a lot of us want to just keep lists of am I doing good or am I doing bad. But your fellowship with God, your reigning in life through the gift, like we talked about, is based on when he looks at you, he sees a co-heir with Christ. He sees my son. He sees when he sees you in Christ. You remember when Christ was baptized and he began his ministry? The father looked down on Jesus and he said what? This is my beloved son in him I'm well pleased. If I am seated in heavenly places in Christ, he looks at me through Christ, no matter of what I've done good or what I've done bad. Now we love that it doesn't matter what I've done bad, but it's also doesn't matter what I've done good. He looks at me through Christ and says, this here, Jason or daughter, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased because of what he did. I am right. king's kid. Well, that's real common. Use that analogy. Y'all remember Ghostbusters? Can y'all remember that? And so the guy's sitting there and, and, and the girl's there and she's just dumb as a rock, you know. And, and, and the little boy there, he's a genius. And so he goes back. He, go, he gives the right answer and he zaps him, you know. Like, yeah. ah, so he asked the girl the question, did he need to write and walk, whatever. He said, that's right, that's right. 
it's because he chose to do that. And so when he said that a while ago, like, this is my beloved son, it means God, it, it's because of your kinship with him. It's because of who you are and you're adopted. It's like, well, they don't do nothing to their kid. They, they don't like it. That's his right to do that. That's right. And he's got a way to do it. He's going to chastise you. But the world knows, like, Can you stand? Can I talk to you? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Right. I'm going to speak. When I get you on, I'm going to speak. You think, man, they're going to tie a law change with a kid driving down the road like that. And you want to say to somebody else, I mean, not when you do yours. You do yours. We do ours the same way. It's like, you know, I can say, but Jason, that, that wasn't so bad. You know, that wasn't so bad. You know. And uh, that's the way, that's the way God is. I mean, we got a book here. And, and man, you know, there's, there's penalty. But, but the biggest penalty is when we get set down and and and, and they tell you like, you know, you know, we love you. If we can just make them understand, if we can make Jesse and Jacob understand, like, do you realize what we've had to do yeah. to get to where we had to have this so you can enjoy it? And, and that's what you're trying to do through the Word of God. You're trying to say, man, can we understand what God paid so we can get this free ride? Right. You know. And we're rain under that. I mean, when it said, well, I go rain, it just comes in. You know, you just, you learn so much faith comprehension. I'm just sitting back there and it just exploded to me. Like, we're rain because he's dead. We're rain upon that. We we up under that rain that, you know, that, that somebody says, he ain't going to drown in the water. You know, he ain't going to. Giving his own kid preferential treatment. <laughs> and he don't. That's right. Yeah. And don't. Preferential treatment. How many of us ain't got it? I mean, don't don't even think. So so we don't even have time to look at somewhere someone and, and catch good. We, all we've got time to do is like, dang, they, we we got to work out. Cold. We got so much help, you know. We we got to work out. Yeah. So man, we done. Man, we shouldn't have been thrown in jail so many times. We got to and tell them it's going to be okay. But we don't do that. When we get to Sun School class, and I used to be in these Sun School classes to have a little prayer deal. Hey, have you been in them? They like, you know, being we all family, I know y'all ain't going to tell. <laughs> Pray for so and so. All right, la la last verse. Or last two verses. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, what happened? Grace. Grace did more abound. So the law came, and all of a sudden, we have a list of all the junk that we've done. And so all of a sudden, I'm when you understand God's law, I'm more of a sinner now. Then before I realized, the more you study, I, I often say, when I first got saved, I was, I mean, I was perfect. I was the holiest guy in the room, or at least I thought so. You know, it's like, I don't know what's wrong with all y'all. I'm doing good. And if y'all could just be like me, God would have it going on in the world. And then you start learning about God's law and you're like, ooh, I fail right here. Ooh, I ain't, huh. I'm not doing too good. And then pretty soon it's like, man, am I doing anything worth anything? Yeah. 
And it says, but see, where that sin, as that sin increases in my mind, like, man, I'm bad here, and I'm bad there, and I'm bad. Doesn't that grace get a lot bigger? I mean, when you come across a sin that God reveals to you, He shows you, hey, you, you, you're messing up right here. Uh, we don't have to despair. We don't have to go hide in the corner. We don't have to beg Daddy to not throw us out of the house. You know what I mean? You're going to be His child. And so the more the more forgiveness that we need and the more uh, repentance that we have and the more we go to Him and we say, man, I've failed and I, I just don't... Man, the bigger and the more powerful His grace seems. And the more we appreciate it. I mean, that was the thing with the Pharisees. It's like, they just didn't appreciate it. I'm getting it all. I'm working for my own. And we're doing better than all y'all. And what Brother Eddie was just talking about, about judging and, and not worrying about ourselves. That happens when we, when we get a low view of grace. When grace doesn't abound. Because when, when, when I need it, and it's there for me, you know, I understand that I could be, in just a few quick steps, I could be this guy. You know what I mean? Like, I could be... Not very far. If when you understand that your flesh is wicked and it's evil and sinful nature, you understand that if if it it can't, if it, would, it can't happen, but if for some reason Christ would pull His hand from you or pull His spirit from you, I mean it wouldn't be, but you know, not very long at all. You'd be right back to where you started and desiring to go in that direction. See what I mean? If he left you, the only reason you desire him is because he put it in you to desire him. Does that make sense? And man, I mean, just the fact that I want to serve him, I want to love him, is an act of his grace. Because if left to my own flesh, man, it wouldn't be good. I know me. I don't know all y'all like y'all know y'all, but I know me. Last last one, then we go into church. says... This is the last one before we get to chapter 6. Chapter 6 is really powerful. It says, That as sin hath reigned unto death, here we're going with the ruling and reigning language again, even so might grace reign. Now we talk about grace reigning over death. So not only does do we reign through Christ, but grace reigns now over death through the righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I want you to get, right before we go, the point of this. Um, it's almost like when I say, when I say this, it's almost like I have to put a little tag on it and say, but, but I'm not going to do that. He's saying that if you are a believer in Christ, I'm assuming that we are. So if, you, if you're not, only you and God know you need to work that out. We're going to go to service here in just a minute. But if you're a believer in Christ and His righteousness belongs to you, you're a joint heir with Him, you are in Him, you know, you're trusted in Him for salvation, there is nothing but grace in the Father's mind for you. You understand? There is no wrath. There is no death. Jesus said, the one who, if you believe on me, you will, the one who believes on me will not see death. Or, what is it? I just went blank again. It says, he who believes on me, crud. I'm going to look it up. I don't want to misquote it. I don't misquote it. But we don't worry. Death doesn't rule over us. We don't worry about it. Death is a change of addresses. It doesn't haunt us. It doesn't. We're just going to be with the one we want to be with anyway. And so 
He's going to show us this is, this is his last section before he starts talking about how we live. Think about that for a minute. I don't know, yesterday, the day before, how many sins did you commit? Houston did a thing on his calculator and said if you did like 10 a day, you know, after 15 years, it'd be, I mean, millions. I mean, and God takes all those sins, not all those things that we've done, not just the things that we've done, but the thing that we are. When a guy lies to you three times a day for a week, think about this guy. Guy lies to your face three times a day for a week. At the end of the week, how are you going to feel toward that guy? Are you going to be able to trust anything he says? Basically, you're going to say, look, it ain't just about you telling me a lie. You are just a liar. I mean, you're just a habitual liar. You can't help it. You know, I don't want to. And so that's who we are. We are evil and wicked and sinful. But through God's son and the spirit of God that dwells in us, now we are holy and righteous and blameless. I mean, it's, it's almost amazing. You can't leave Paul's thought here thinking, I am working my way to fellowship with God. I am trying to do better in order to please God and secure my, point, my righteousness. You can't walk away from that. You're right, you're right. You can't walk away from his thought with that in mind. Your righteousness is given perfectly as a free gift in Jesus Christ. Or you're absolutely 100% wicked with no chains, okay? Those are the only two options. So how that fleshes out in your life right before we go, think about this. We are, no matter what happens, I don't care the worst tragedy, tribulation, temptation, even if you do something absolutely stupid that no believer should ever do, if you are a believer, and I'm assuming that, there is nothing but grace and love and mercy for you. There might be discipline. I'm not saying God won't discipline you. There is no wrath. There is no punishment. Jesus Christ took that perfectly. So when something does happen, you have hope in the midst of the storm. When you do fall into temptation, you have victory in the, in the understanding that God's righteousness abounds where sin about where sin abounds, God's grace abounds all the more. You can, you it keeps you from getting too prideful because you understand. You know what? I'm not working for nothing anyway. You know what I mean? I've been given everything, and it keeps you in a love relationship with God. I mean, if somebody pulled you out of a burning car or whatever, you would be indebted to them. You would be, you would lavish on them. I mean, you say even better than that. If somebody pulled your wife or your husband or your child out of a burning car. You would, I mean, there wouldn't be anything you wouldn't lavish on that person to thank them for what they've done. And yet God has done all this for us who was his enemy. Like we weren't just caught in a burning car going, help me, help me. We were the ones setting fire to the car and saying, I hate you, God. And he came and saved us out of that. So his grace is perfect and we can rest in it. Next week we'll start this. When you talk about grace this way, the first thing that comes up is in somebody's mind is, well, I can just send all I want then, right? That's the first verse in the next chapter that we're going to talk about, chapter 6. So I'll send you, I'll send you an outline and uh, we'll get right on that. Okay, y'all ready for church?
What's wrong? You look like you're hurting. Was it bad? Oh, you got to go? All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for what you've done for us. Father, your grace is so big and your mercy is so wonderful. We just can't thank you enough. And God, when we just start thinking about our own sin and how wicked we are, but yet how perfect and righteous we are in you, God, it's just amazing. And we just, I mean, it's something that we can't get over. It's something that we just can't fathom. Your love and mercy is, is so big, we can't even wrap our minds around it. So, Father, we just ask that you help us walk in it. Help us walk in your righteousness rather than our own. Help us to just understand that, uh, that you've given us everything and that we're perfect in your sight, not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done. And we're not judged by our performance, but we're judged on the performance that Christ did when he went to the cross. Father, help us to go as we go into service that we would worship you in these truths and we would take these things and we would just... Uh, Lift our hearts and hands up to you, God, as we sing praises to your name and be with Brother Eddie as he preaches and help us to uh, to hear what you're trying to speak through him, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.